Well, good evening, everyone. Well, I'm delighted to be with you. Real privilege, real pleasure, and very grateful for the invitation. My name's Simon, Simon Ponsonby, and uh, I thought this evening I'd tell you a little bit about myself, just so you know who that fat vicar is up there talking to you. And uh, then we'll just set the scene for the weekend by looking at a little bit of scripture. I don't intend to go on after 10 o'clock. Is that okay? I think we'll be done by nine. Is that all right? Don't worry. If you start snoring, I don't mind. I'm used to it. I uh, had just come from a conference that I was doing in Nottingham. And uh, as I was walking out, I met some chap at the door. He says, you do go on a bit. (laughs) He said, I'm sorry, but I just have to say, you do go on a bit. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well... I'm a minister in a church in Oxford, St. Aldate's, and I've been there for the last 15 years. For the last uh, eight of those 15, I've been the pastor of theology, rather grand title, uh, but not a very grand job, and um, it's a large church with a large team, and uh, my responsibility is to do series of teaching on Sundays, midweek teaching, trying to write some books, and I get the privilege of traveling around and meeting Christians all over the place and and, uh, enjoying weekends and conferences with them. Prior to that, I was a university chaplain. I was the Oxford pastor at Chaplin, uh, and I did that for seven years. Before that, I was a parish priest up north in Bradford, and uh, inner city Bradford, a very tough uh, gritty uh, UPA, uh, tough council estate. I remember opening my door one day and a, a man running in front of me with an axe. Um, I remember opening my door one day and someone running out the back with my kit and so on. It was a, a tough place. And in our church in Bradford, we, we probably had about 30 or 40 people and no one from the estate at the time had a GCSE or an O-level. Um, and uh, then I went to Oxford, where we have about 1,500 people. And, uh, you know, everyone's got a couple of degrees. There were 100 doctors in the morning service, you know. I mean, it was comp- PhDs and such, like, completely intimidating. Uh, but I realized, after a very short while, you know, they may be slightly smarter in Oxford. They, they might not have as much wisdom, but they, they might have more degrees and more letters after the name. But, but basic human needs are the same and uh, they need God, and uh, God's affection for them was just the same as it was for those who were in Bradford, and all I had to do was preach three sermons in one. They wanted longer sermons rather than the the short ones in Bradford. In fact, I remember speaking in Bradford on one occasion, and someone in the front row said, just shut up, lad. (laughs) He wasn't the vicar, but um, prior to that, I was at Theological Cemetery, and uh, I studied there. For four years, you know, some people get out of jail free earlier, but I did four years and a couple of degrees. And prior to that, I worked for a church down in the West Country. I am, you'll probably pick up, from the West Country. Anyone from the West Country here? Praise God. Um, uh, the farmland that we used to own, my family, and worked for many generations is all underwater. You can see why one of my ancestors flogged it. Um, <clears throat> 
So we're from the West Country, and now and again, when I get excited, I can't help it. You'll hear me go, and, you know, I just, I'm sorry about that. It, I just can't help it. Uh, so I uh, born and bred in Bristol, uh, lived in Plymouth for a bit of the time, and, and then back into Somerset, as I said, several generations of farmers. I come from a very devout Christian family, and I'll probably tell you more about this uh, tomorrow and perhaps on Sunday morning. Um, my, we had about four generations of exclusive brethren. Do we, have, do, do we know the exclusive brethren? Re- yes, exactly. So several generations of the exclusives. And uh, then they, my, my mother and my granddad, they came out in the late 60s. And my, fa- uh, and my mother met my father, who was what they call a strict and particular Baptist. You heard of them? Anyway, my father became a Christian by walking into this, a cinema and watching a movie called The Robe. Do you remember that movie? He wasn't a Christian, had no church in him at all, and he went into uh, this cinema as a young adult, and somehow, in that movie, God just spoke to him about, I mean, it's tangentially about the Lord Jesus, but somehow through it. God drew near to him, and his heart just opened up to God, and there was a transaction that took place, a revelation and a transaction. He gave his life to the Lord, and he came out of there a Christian. Um, He didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian, so he started going to a synagogue because he knew Jesus was Jewish and a church at the end of the road. And after a while, they realized he wasn't Jewish, so they kicked him out of the synagogue. Um, And he immediately enrolled at night school learning Hebrew and Greek. And he's completely, completely fluent in his Old Testament Hebrew and very good at Greek. And so I grew up in this household that had these sort of streams of my father coming to a very serious biblical man and scholar and my mum, this sort of serious brethren roots. And I've got to be honest, I couldn't stand it. (laughs) You know, I grew up going to church, you know, from about two weeks old, three times on a Sunday. And honestly, I was just turned off church. Churches were old and cold and full of people who seemed to be old and cold to me. You know, the, I have this sort of memories programmed into my sort of soul and my senses of, of the smell of sort of burning flies and dust on electric bars, do you know what I mean? And paint peeling off the wall. But we were the elect of God, you know. But we didn't seem to be doing very well at it. And, uh, you know, a sort of a piano that was out of tune. And, uh, and, and it was all, it was just sort of dreary and damp. And, and then my father would get up and speak and everything would change. It would suddenly go into colour and, and things would come alive. But it would last until my father finished and off, off, off we'd go home. And uh, the most exciting thing that ever really happened in church was in the summer. We, we build them big in my family. My mum's a big woman, and, and we got high blood pressure, and my mum would faint in the summer. You know? And it was brilliant, because we got to sort of take her out of church, you know, <laughs> and I could bunk off. And, and you know, these were this, you know, this is my memory of church. And it, didn't, it, it, it really didn't connect to me. I always believed in God, but I never knew him. And church seemed to almost put me off him. I was certainly put off church. And uh, I knew that my father and my mother had something authentic. Uh, 
but it, it hadn't caught. You know what I mean? In my teenage years and latter teenage years, I really went off the rails. And I went about as far away from God as perhaps it's possible to do without dropping right off the end. And during that time, I mean, you know, you name it, what, Wine, Women and Song, the full wallop. During that time, I, I, I gave myself to every sort of pleasure that I could afford, and none of them really satisfied. And all the while, there was this profound sort of gnawing and an aching and a longing for, for God. And God seemed to be on my case too. I think it was because my father was constantly praying. And I kept bumping into Christians, and I'd be awfully rude to them. But, you know, they'd be awfully sweet, and they'd smile, and then hand me a tract, and so on. On one occasion, I tried to give money to a busker on the street. And he said, I don't want your money. I just wanted to say, you can't keep running from God. I thought, well, give me my money back. You know. You know? On another occasion, I remember sitting on a fence. I mean, the irony of it. But I actually was sat on a fence out in Nailsey. I rolled up a fag. I was having a smoke. And uh, I, I saw a vision. Now, I, I didn't grow up in a charismatic context. As near as we got to charismatic was my mum fainting in the summer. You know what I mean? But I saw a vision of me teaching children the story of Jonah. And I was saying to them, you can't run away from God. And I remember saying, God, wherever you are, whoever you are, leave me alone and I'm never going to church and I'm not going to teach the story of Jonah. And then in the distance I saw this Anglican church and I felt this stirring to go to this Anglican church. But I'd been brought up strict Baptist and we believed that Rome was the Antichrist and the Church of England was her illegitimate spawn. So you couldn't go anywhere near the church. And if I was going to go to church, it wouldn't be that sort of a church. Anyway, shortly thereafter, I had a row with a friend of mine. I was in his car. We had a row. And I thought, I either smack him or get out. And as he was driving, I thought I'd better get out to stop the car. I got out, and I was outside this church that I'd seen in the distance. And I heard the most amazing music coming from, from inside, coming out. You know, I was used to a sort of, you know, death march in church, but this was sort of alive and full of joy and vibrancy. And uh, I walked into this church, and near a church in so long, and certainly not an Anglican one, and I came in, and the first thing that struck me was it was full. I'd been used to a church in single figures, you know, our family in about three elderly persons, and suddenly it was revival. It was full of people. I didn't know there were so many people who've, who were Christian. The second thing that struck me was the presence of God. I'd never experienced anything like it. I'd experienced a lot of experiences, some of them illicit, but this was amazing. And as they were worshipping, there was, there was a sense of joy you know, I now have a language for it. There was the immediacy of the presence of God. That God was enthroned on the praises of his people. That his spirit was there. And it was just remarkable. And then something extraordinary happened. They all began singing in a foreign language. And there was this most amazing sort of symphony that was, you know, harmony and melody. 
And it was extraordinary. And I remember thinking, it must have been a verse from my childhood, though they speak in the voice of men and angels, yet have not love. I thought, them be angels in that church, you know. <laughs> it's angels. That week I went and spoke to my father. I never spoke, I hadn't spoken to him since I was, you know, I'd been grunting at him since I was 13. But I went and spoke to him. Where in the Bible does it talk about angels speaking in the voice of men and angels? My dad nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> and he told me. I didn't tell him why, but I, and my theology was wrong. It wasn't angels. It was the people of God worshipping in the spirit. But that afternoon, my pal said, are you coming, coming up the pub tonight? I said, no, I'm going to church. They thought, yeah, very fun. I was a bit of a joker. They thought it was a real joke. But I was going to church. I put on my best waistcoat. Always worn waistcoats. Can't afford a motorbike. But um, <laughs> washed my hair and that, and I went to church to meet with God. And again, since the people were there. The presence of God was there. And then there was a wonderful sermon by a man called John Simons, a tired now, dear old man. And he was talking about the cross and the invitation that comes from God to have our sins forgiven, to be put right with him, to be restored and uh, reconciled with God, redeemed from sin and forgiven and cleansed. And I just wept. I was a tough guy. I was in the meat trade. I was a butcher. And, uh, you know, I was a hard-working man. And I just wept. And at the end, there was an appeal. And I came and gave my life to the Lord. And I've never got over it. Within a year, I became a street preacher. I left the meat trade. I was just preaching on the streets, living by faith for a year and a half. Then I planted a church. Then they decided, after a couple of years, they ought to ordain me, which is when they went, sent me to seminary. And the rest I've told you about. I'm married to Tiffany. I'll talk about her a lot because I can't get over her either. We've been married 25 years a week ago. And uh, just a testimony to her grace, really. Uh, God, God bless me. And we've got two fantastic teenage boys who, who grunt. Um, <laughs> you know. But uh, Nathaniel and Joel, they're completely epic. I'll tell you a little bit more as we go along, some, some other stuff about me. But th- that's who I am, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. And I've never got, got over the privilege of serving God. I've never got over being saved. I wouldn't have saved me. I wouldn't have rescued me. Incidentally, after a couple of months, I became a Sunday school teacher, and you can imagine what the first thing I taught was. It was that church, and I taught Sunday school there, and I taught the story of Jonah. I never got over the fact that God called me to speak for him, that God brought me to himself. I just, you know, I I, I sometimes say I either sweat or cry. I sweat because I'm fat, and and my heart's not too good, and I cry because I haven't got over it. Who God is and what he's done for me. What an extraordinary thing. Well, this week I think we're going to have a great time. And uh, tomorrow we're going to be looking at the whole theme of more. That God has got more for us. Not undermining the cross, not over and above it, but mining it. Extracting everything that Christ laid up for us. So we're going to spend tomorrow morning in our two sessions. I encourage you to come and bring your Bibles and a notepad and paper. But this evening, I just, in the next ten minutes or so, want to just set the scene. And uh, if you've got a Bible, can we just turn to the book of Ephesians? Will read it 
I, I knew Will in Oxford, and I, I'd been emailing Will, and I didn't realize it was the Will I knew in Oxford from the coffee shops where he'd sit there reading his Bible in the coffee shops, having his quiet time first thing, working on his sermons. And here he is. What a, what a wonderful thing. Now, we're going to be looking at Ephesians tomorrow, and we're going to be trying to apply it to our lives. And I just want to encourage you this weekend to, to be open to what God wants to give you. It, there's going to be some surprises. But God is here. It says in James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is a weekend when we're drawing near to God. We're intentionally seeking God. The Bible says, if you seek me, you'll fight me if you seek me with all your heart. You've come out on a rainy evening. I know you're coming tomorrow mainly for the breakfast, but afterwards we'll read the Bible too. And God will draw near to you as you draw near to him. And God is going to speak to you. And God is going to give you gifts. He's going to bless you. Some of you have lost stuff. Some of you have lost your first love. Some of you have just buried gifts that God gave you years ago. Some of you dismissed calling that God gave you years ago. God's going to draw near to you and renew that and rekindle that and revitalize that. It's going to be a good weekend. The Lord is here. Okay. That was Anglican. The Lord is here. And that makes a difference. You know, his spirit is with us, like whatever. No. It, I mean, that's the main. God of the universe is here. And he's going to meet with you this weekend. He really is. And that might be a bit uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you got baggage and he wants you to unload it this weekend. Some of you just troubled in your mind and he wants to restore you and free you from that this weekend. Some of you are just so full of longing that you don't know which way to direct it. He's going to tell you this weekend. Some of you are just full of disappointment this weekend. He wants to put some encouragement in you. Some of you just feel bored of it all. Just church is boring. And God wants to light a fire under you this weekend. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. I was interested that Will, he didn't know what I was going to talk on tonight or tomorrow, and I didn't either. Um, but we're, <coughs> we're just winging it. Keep going and someone will come. Um, he read that prayer from verse 15. I'm going to teach on that tomorrow. But let's just set the scene for that prayer from verse 15 onwards. It begins in Ephesians chapter 1. It begins with the word Paul. I love that word. That is the gospel in one word. Paul, what was he called before? Saul. Saul is Hebrew, Shaul, and it means heard of. It can mean prayed for. And here he's called Paul, and that's Latin, and it means weedy, tiny, puny. Paul took that name. Saul took that name. There's no record of God giving it to him. And Saul had once been this Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee, who despised the Gentile dogs, but God now had turned his life around. 
and he was going to give his life to preaching to the Gentiles. And so he takes the name Paul, a diminutive name in the language of his enemies, and he's going to go there. What a difference God makes in a life. He was Saul, and now he's Paul. Some of you have been praying for years for members of your family. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your parents. And you think, to be honest, they're just like, they're just Saul. They're about as far away from Christ. In fact, when I'm with them, they speak against Christ. They're, they're abusive towards Christ. We want to pray for them this weekend. Because Saul's can become Paul. My dad prayed for me. Simon, who wouldn't go near a church, walks into an Anglican church and gets converted. Saul becomes Paul. I'd have killed Saul if I was Jesus. You know what I mean? I'd have knocked him off his horse and broken his neck, wouldn't you? But God had a different plan, and God is so full of grace. He doesn't kill Saul. He converts him, makes him Paul. And then, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, from persecuting the church, he becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles by the will of God. This was God's will. He had a plan and a purpose. And even though it seemed that Saul was diametrically opposed to God, God turned him around. I want to encourage you this weekend to be praying. This weekend, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And as he draws near to you, pray for those people again. Maybe you've given up praying for them and you've given up hoping for them. But Saul can become Paul. Last week I was teaching Open Doors. Do you know Open Doors Ministry? They, Brother Andrew founded it, but they work with the tortured church around the world. And they're working with tortured, persecuted Christians. And I, I, I happened to refer to this and I said, we need to be praying for the persecutors because Saul's can become Paul. As a ministry, let's not just encourage the saints who are persecuted. Let's pray for the persecutors. It can happen. Who's the worst non-Christian you know? Let's pray for them this weekend. And then he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. You see that? There are two ins there. There's in Ephesus and there's in Christ Jesus. The one is the sphere that has influenced them in Christ the other is the sphere that they're to influence in Ephesus. It's a real problem if Ephesus was influencing them. Often the church is too influenced by Ephesus. It's too influenced by its culture. First and foremost, we're to be people in Christ. And then secondly, from being in Christ and drawing on him and his life and his love, we're then in Norwich, influencing and it may well be that this weekend God challenges some of you, you're a bit too much in Ephesus. There's a bit too much of Norwich in you. I'm not talking about an accent, you know. A bit too much of the world. We have to be in Christ and then from that in Ephesus. And then look at that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything God gives us, he gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he give us? give us? He gives us grace and peace. In the ancient Semitic world, in the ancient East, you greeted one another with peace. In Hebrew, shalom. If it was in Arabic, it would be salam, an Aramaic equivalent. In the, in, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, 
you greeted one another with peace, or rather with grace. (laughs) Grace, charis. This is the first reference in any ancient literature to the joining of these two things. Grace and peace, east and west, meets us in what, and is given to us in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace. Did you know every one of Paul's letters begins in the first few sentences imparting grace and ends in the last couple of sentences imparting grace? It's just surrounded by grace and everything God wants to do this weekend is surrounded by grace. He's the grace God. Some of you, you're in trouble and there are secret sins in your life. There are just secret addictions. There are secret shadows. There are indulgences held against the light. There's just stuff in your life. I'm not saying that because I'm a prophet. I'm saying that because I'm a pastor and I've been in ministry long enough. And God wants to deal with it this weekend. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And what will he do when he draws near? He will reveal stuff and then he will clean stuff up. And some of you, they've got the stuff that's got to get cleaned up. This weekend, attitudes, actions, harboured resentments, secret sins, things, stuff. You know what it is. As soon as I said that, you, you knew what it was. And he wants to deal with it this weekend. And he doesn't come with a great big size 12 boot. He comes with grace. Others of you are just troubled. You, you're troubled in your mind. Again, I don't have to be prophetic to know that. That's just life. Worries, anxieties, troubled patterns of thought, depressions, despair, neurotic thoughts, obsessive compulsive thoughts. He wants to give peace. He's the grace and peace God. And this weekend, as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us and he will give us that. How are we doing? Six more minutes? Can you handle that? It's late, isn't it? And these, are, these come, and they will come to us from the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from verse 3 to verse 14, we've got one sentence. There's punctuation in our translation. It's actually the longest sentence in the whole New Testament in Greek, for those who care. And Paul's off on one. He doesn't take a breath. I thank God for the comma. But there's no, there's no comma there in the Greek. Paul just has one sentence. And it's as if he just pours out like a machine gun. And it's full of all the things God has done for us. It's, if you like, all the applications of the gospel for our life. And it begins with the word, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that? And it ends, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. And it says it talks about praise twice else in there. You see, when you understand what God has done for you, you will praise him. I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm just more Eeyore than Inor. Do you know what I mean? I'm just a bit miserable and grumpy. But when I stop to think about what he's done for me, then I want to praise him. When we were worshipping earlier on, I didn't know any of those songs. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks, band. We're going to worship the Lord this weekend. Some of you, you just think, boring, get off. Get off the microphone. Stop smiling at me. You played a bad chord. Come on, let's get on with it. And some of you just find it really uncomfortable. You know, what on earth? What on earth are they on about? 
God wants to free some of you this weekend to praise him. You'll realize who he is and what he's done for you. You will praise him. And then we have this amazing list. Praise be to God. Why? Because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Through Christ, through the cross. This is the gospel. We have every spiritual blessing. Not material, but spiritual blessing. And and we've got a lot of them. Every. We've got everything we need. And look at some of these things. I haven't got time to tease them open. Let's just underline them. He chose us in him. Some of you don't believe that. You think, I don't belong, I don't fit, I've never fitted, didn't fit in my family, didn't fit at my school, didn't fit in the clothes, I always had hand-me-downs, just don't fit wherever I am, I don't fit at work, I don't fit in church, I just don't fit. I don't belong. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't, you know what I mean? You were at school and everyone else, when they pay, made teams, picked two captains, you, 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 went through the list, you were always like, oh, go on then, you're in goal, you know? You don't belong. But God wants to encourage you this weekend. He chose you. He chose you. In him, in Christ, before the foundation of the earth. That is one of the most amazing truths in scripture. Most Christians don't really get it. Many don't. He chose us. Before creation, the base, he had you in mind and then he created a context for him and you to be. Look out the window and you can just see the rain in the dark. But, you know, tomorrow when you walk along the beach or something, this amazing creation, a space, a, a place in space and time, he created as a context for a lover's tryst with you. You're not an accident. You're not last on the list. You're not irrelevant to him. He chose you. He thinks you're the business. In fact, God's business in creation was to make creation so he could meet you. Before the creation of the world, he chose you for a purpose to be holy and blameless. I've already touched on sin. He's going to tidy some stuff up this weekend. You see, when you draw near to God and he draws near to you, you realize he's holy and you're not. And you have to say sorry. And he says, I forgive you. And he applies his forgiveness. In love, he predestined us. There's that predestined again. Predestined, chose you before. And he did it in love. In love, he predestined us. The motive of it was that he loved us. Some of you, you don't believe he loves you. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. I think it's the biggest problem in the church. Christians who've memorized John 3.16 don't actually know that God loves them. You know, deep in their hearts, I know that I know that I know that he loves me. I feel his affection for me. His banner over me is love. He loves me. When you know that, you can do anything. In him we have redemption through his blood. We're brought out of slavery. The forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful thing. This is the gospel. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He knew what he was doing. It was wisdom and understanding. He didn't make a mistake. And he lavished. Do you like the word lavish? I just had a great meal this evening. It was lavish. 
I mean, really. My wife worries about my size and my health. So sometimes she'll say, roast puds or a Yorkshire, you know, roast, roast potatoes or Yorkshire pudding. I thought, well, since when was it either or? I want both. Do you know what I mean? Mince pies or ice cream? Well, I, I want both. When I think of lavish, I think of Mr. Kipling's cakes. I don't know why, it just comes in. I think lavish is like, go on, have a bit more, lad. You, know, you can see I'm a good eater, but have a bit more. He lavished on us his grace and his gifts with all wisdom and understanding. And he wants to lavish them on you this weekend. I haven't got time to open all these things up. Let's move quickly. He's made known the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will purposed in Christ Jesus? It's to die for us. It's for God to become flesh and to die for us upon a cross. That's the mystery of his will. You know, I I travel quite a lot, as I've said, you know. And uh, often you go to places and when you meet some really keen Christians, they, they tend to have big Bibles with things written in. And they come up to you and they're looking keen with starry-eyed. Come and talk to the preacher. And, it's like, and they say, what is God doing? You know, you know, you've got a perspective. What is God doing? Is Aslan on the move? <laughs> it's like, not really, you know. What's he doing? He's doing the same old stuff that he's, ever, he's always done. It's the same old stuff. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will, his purpose in Christ Jesus. And God wants you this weekend to understand it better. Put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment now, not tomorrow. It's already happened. And then it goes on, in him we were chosen. Have we heard that before? Chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works at everything. He's planned it all. And his plan was for you to be at the wedding banquet. And then it talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit who guarantees our inheritance, which is a deposit. You see that? That's the last thing I'm going to say. It's a deposit. Now, what is a deposit? It's normally about 5 or 10%, isn't it? Is that what it is? You're not going to put 90%, 90% down as a deposit, are you? Deposit, 5 10%. And God's already given us the Holy Spirit with all these things. It's a past tense. It's a done deal. We've already got the Spirit. But then there's more. And tomorrow, we're going to look at that prayer that will lead us in prayer from verse 15, where Paul says, you've got all this. You need to know all this. And there's more. Tomorrow we're going to look at meeting God by the power of the Spirit and knowing his power in our life and his love. But it's so important that we understand who we are. And, and many of us can li- live our Christian life and we fail to avail ourselves of all that God has done for us, let alone failing to lay, you know, we, we just don't grasp that, let alone laying hold of all the more that he has for us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, I hope I haven't put you off coming tomorrow. We'll have more stories tomorrow and more application. Maybe a few tears. Shall we pray?
Father, some of us have known you a very long time. And some of us just a short time. And maybe some of us don't even know if we know you yet. We pray, dear Lord, that this weekend we would all know you better. We pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit. That you would reveal yourself to us through your word. That you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in thy law. Father, that you would do a work in our lives, that we would be different, that this church would be different because of this weekend, because you visited it in a, in a new and fresh and more intense way, that you've come amongst your people. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Pray that you'd watch over us this night and this weekend. And we pray that you'd prepare us to meet with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.